Ambition Feed. Hi, I'm Emily and this is Ambition Feed, Ambition School Leadership's podcast that brings you honest conversations about education. This podcast is a special edition to relaunch Ambition Feed, which will now be exploring a new topic every half term. We're joined by school leader Saqib Chowdhury, an LGBT ed co-founder and former director of assessment and selection at Ambition School Leadership, Hannah Jepson. Hannah, Saqib, could you introduce yourselves please and tell us a bit more about what you do? I'm Hannah, I'm the co-founder and director of LGBT Ed and we're working to increase LGBT visibility in the education sector. I'm also a trustee of an LGBT youth charity across the North West and um, a published academic author with specialisms in uh, unconscious bias and the experiences of gay women in the workplace in the UK. I am currently a Deputy Principal in South London. I've worked in the education sector for over a decade in inner city London. I've worked in a range of schools from requires improvement to outstanding. Um, I'm also a governor, a local, local governor at a primary school, which is part of a large educational trust. And in the past, I've also done some work, um, charity work for a LGBT Muslim organisation. To start off, what do we mean by equality, diversity and inclusion? I think that's a, it's a really good question. It's, it's a really broad question. I think for me, there's diversity in everyone. And, I'm, and by that, I mean that we limit ourselves if we think of diversity as just gender or ethnicity or sexuality, for example, because actually, yes, those protected characteristics really require our, our attention at the moment. But we also need to think about things like diversity of thought, diversity of background and experience. And it's also about the nuanced ways that multiple identities interact within individuals. You know, we don't have single identities, we don't have single issue lives. A really good quote I heard was, um, diversity is strength, difference is a teacher, fear difference and learn nothing. So yes, we do mean the protected characteristics and celebrating uniqueness and um, acceptance and action. But for me, when I think about equality and diversity and inclusion, the biggest thing that I think is learning. That's what it, it means to me. It's about learning and it's about um, the effort that's required in, in learning about others. Okay, and how about you, Saki? What are your thoughts on the, the topic? I think equality, diversity and inclusion to me speaks empowerment. And what I mean by that is if we are offering an education that is equal and diverse and inclusive, then we will empower our young people in order to attain wealth. Hannah's done quite a good job exploring what she means by diversity. I just want to talk about equality for a moment. For me, equality is um, not having the same experience. Quite often, equality is pushed as someone having the same experience as someone else. But actually, within a diverse community, giving someone the same experience doesn't necessarily empower the same people. So if you're an um, underprivileged Black Caribbean or an underprivileged Pakistani boy living in Bradford and you have the same experience of, of being in a classroom with someone who's from a privileged background, um, an Indian background, a white background, from a middle class background where parents are helping with the homework, just having the same school experience so won't empower that young person to succeed. And so for me, equality is about um, understanding diversity and then empowering through our understanding of it. And that enables inclusion in itself. And what do you see as the, the challenges that schools face when they are trying to promote equality? I think a lot of the challenges are understanding, understanding what those challenges are and how they go forwards with them. I'll give you an example. Um, there was a video that I saw of a school in Bradford and in this video the year seven students what they do is they sit up at the end of year seven at the end of first term and they say to the camera my name's so and so and when I grow up I want to be x y and z. 
right? And this is a really, um, you know, economically deprived area in Bradford. It's fantastic that these young people are being enabled to, to go on and have some sort of ambition through their schools. That's fantastic. But what struck me when I was watching that video is all the Asian boys wanted to go into business, sports, economics, finance, medicine, and not much else. And the, the white students, there weren't many, but the, the white students that were there, they were talking about, I want to be a dancer, I want to be an actor. And for me, that's not equality, because actually what you're doing is you're enabling these students to have ambitions, but there's a huge history of art in Asia. And these students, the, these young people, they come from immigrant families that have emigrated and almost lost some of that understanding. And we don't go to school so we can have the same experience as what we have within our households. What I want is for these young people to go to school and actually experience the arts and experience it in a way that they feel empowered to, to, to follow those pursuits. Um, and that's not happening. And so I think a challenge is for people within those areas to understand that actually just because this young piece, person now has ambition, have we really given them equality? Have we really given them an inclusive understanding um, that allows them to assimilate, you know, but also gives them the understanding to go on and be, be a full human being? And I think that's a huge challenge. It's a difficult question. How do, how do you solve that challenge? How do you give those pupils equality? I mean, it's a, diff it's a difficult solution as well, isn't it? I mean, last year we had the Equalities Report from Theresa May that looked at the achievement of women and ethnic minorities, etc., etc., in the workplace. And since then, there was a big hoo-ha about the report itself. But since then, I haven't seen any kind of action about it. I think the way that you challenge it, and Ofsted are kind of beating this drum now as well, is through, a, through an enriched Key Stage 3 curriculum and through a Key Stage 3 curriculum that engages the young people and, and broadens their horizons, doesn't just continue giving them what they already know, but actually stretches them beyond what they know. Why aren't we teaching Indian subcontinent musical history and arts history to these young people? We should be, because it's a part of who they are. And we're, we're almost saying, you're in school, we're going to teach you. I mean, it's great, we do need to teach them European art and European enlightenment, because enlightened thinking is what, what's brought us to this point. But we need to make sure that we balance our curriculums for these students. And I think, um, you know, we have great programmes, for example, the LGBT Stonewall organisation. I've walked in, worked in two Stonewall schools and it's fantastic. Um, you know, you, you feel supported, you have excellent CPDs to enrich the curriculum, you're taught how to embed LGBT agendas within your curriculum itself. I'm not sure if there's anything like that out there for, for minorities, for, for Asian minority areas, for, for black minority areas where actually the school can say that actually we're making these concerted efforts for our young people. Hannah, turning to you, what sort of, what sort of challenges do you think that, that schools face? Yeah, I, I'd really agree with Saqib about lack of understanding. I think that's the biggest challenge. I think that it's lack of understanding and it's also lack of information. So we know, for example, that uh, the School Workforce Census doesn't currently capture data on sexuality. So how do we know even what um, the makeup is of our school system in terms of LGBT teachers and leaders? We, we don't know it. So, so if we don't know that information, then we're going to be less able to resolve it because we, we just don't know what, what we're working with. And lack of understanding as well, and also asking questions. So for example, if we're thinking about gender identity, for example, it's about creating a safe environment in which it feels okay to ask the question, to, to which pronouns do you, do you refer? Like that's, that's where, where we need to get to. But um, there's almost this reluctance to ask the question because people don't understand it. But many of the LGBT community that I speak to say to me, actually, we wish that people would just 
ask us the question mm-hmm. and, we'll an- and we'll answer them and then we can have an open and honest conversation and then we move forward and those communities then work together. I think in terms of solutions, I think obviously one of the things that I've found since launching LGBTN is the importance of those grassroots networks, so LGBT ed, women ed, BAME ed, I think, but those networks working together and not in silos to understand one another, because as I referred to before, the intersectionality is so important, so we, we shouldn't be working on the assumption that, you know, people are gay and that's the only that's the only thing with which they identify. It's about those networks working together and understanding those lived experiences, and as I said, learning as well, being curious, and having a champion to drive the action. So as Sakib said, it's great that there's, there's been some commitment from, from government to move things forward in this area but it's the next steps now so what what are the actions next and having a champion in your school and they don't have to be a champion who is Pakistani or is uh, LGBT or is a woman it, it just has to be a champion who deeply believes in equality diversity inclusion and understands it yeah exactly and so that it becomes embedded and sustained as opposed to a tick box exercise or one celebratory thing for a week in a, in a year yeah. so yeah I think I think it's about all of those things just making sure that it becomes a really embedded and sustained part of the school system Hannah you said earlier about there not being any data about members of staff or senior team who are LGBT how much do you think that actually matters in terms of um, making the school agenda inclusive to those young people I think it's really important I think that all these things are kind of interlinked and I think that not asking that community the question makes them feel like they can't give an answer um, and I think that makes that community feel feel isolated, feel less empowered and I suppose my point is we're asking questions about gender, we're asking questions about ethnicity, I mean I'm sure we can debate on how that ethnicity is broken down but I think we're asking those questions, we're asking questions about disability so why aren't we asking the question about LGBT staff and, and leaders so I think it's really important just to give those that community a voice particularly as as we know that we've kind of come from a legacy of Section 28 and and you know a really oppressive piece of legislation for the LGBT community. So I think it's I think it's vital that we start to capture that information and also just so that we know what the makeup is you know what the makeup is out there. How many LGBT teachers and leaders do we have in the in the UK education system? That's interesting. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers, but I've worked in two schools where there's been a great LGBT agenda embedded within the school and it's been fantastic and empowering for those young people. I haven't worked in a school where that is that is true perhaps for for um, empowering young black males, young black females or the Asian community. I haven't yet worked in a school where that's true and I'm just wondering to myself whether or not those schools were empowered because they had an LGBT community within the staff body itself and that set the agenda for the school and through that they were allowed, they were able to empower the young people or not. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think at LGBT, we talk about role models, so being the role models that we needed when we were at school. And mm. I think I think it is really important, as I said, to have a champion to drive that that action. So whether, whether you've got... I do think it's important to have the data, but I think whether you've got the data or not, if you've got someone in your teaching staff or in your senior team who is ready to be a role model and drive some action for a community or a certain group of students, I think that's really powerful. See, that's really interesting because when I worked in a secondary school, the whole Black Lives Matters movement was, was, was gathering strength on the internet. And it wasn't something that was really being addressed by, the, by, by staff. It wasn't something that was being talking with, talked with in the pastoral curriculum. It wasn't something that was being discussed generally around the school, but the students were discussing it. So I did an assembly on Malcolm X and his controversial character. And the message of the assembly was that actually he had a very turbulent life and because of that gained some very turbulent beliefs. But 
through his travelling and through his education, he actually became a lot more liberal with his, within his own ideologies. And the last year of his life, he was probably the most liberal he'd ever been and was inclusive of allowing different groups to help the black agenda within America. And um, my message for the assembly was that he was most powerful when he was talking inclusivity, which is why in the end he was unfortunately murdered. And that assembly really worked well with the students, they loved it, but with the staff body as well. An English teacher came up to me and said, oh, Sakib, you've just given us like six weeks worth of curriculum here, that's fantastic. Like we really appreciate the assembly. And you know, when year 11 left crying, year 11 girl came up to me and said, sir, I loved your assembly. I didn't know this about Malcolm, etc., etc." And I think, I think having people within the school that A, understand the community and B, can engage it and can really communicate with it is one of those solutions that you were asking earlier, Emily. I think that's a huge solution, really, having those role models. Bearing in mind the really broad range of the challenges that, that you have both discussed today, in a nutshell, why do you think it is important that we promote equality, diversity and inclusive practices? Well, I mean, this, this, this might be taking it to the extreme, but I think it, it is a matter of life and death to be honest, for some. We, we, we know that mental health, mental health issues for marginalised groups, um, I know particularly for the LGBT community, are disproportionately high. We know that the average uh, life um, expectancy of a transgender person is 35 years old. It's, it's absolutely critical that we promote quality, diversity and inclusion in our schools so that people know that they, it's okay to be themselves. I know that some people feel uncomfortable using the term business case, particularly when we're talking about schools, but I think if, if in this case we say that our business is improving outcomes for children, then it's absolutely critical that we promote EDI in schools. We know from research within the private sector that organisations that are more diverse, that are more inclusive, are more effective in the sense of they have staff in them who work, um, who, are more, who have more job satisfaction, have more job commitment, and so are kind of better able to, to do their job. So we can assume this to be true for all organisations and schools are no different. More, more than anything else though, there's a moral case for it. It's absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, for me at LGBT Ed, we talk about making sure that all staff and children see that there is a richness in society that they can be a part of, alongside them being an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a CEO. You know, their life, their, their, their identity is really, is really critical to, to how they you know, how they exist in the world and, and what they go on to do. So um, I think it's really important that we show people that those two worlds can, can coexist. So for example, in the LGBT community, you can be LGBT and a leader, and that's okay. And how about you, Sakib? What's your view on, uh, on why we need to, to promote equality, diversity and inclusive? So a really shocking stat. I read the other day, black, Asian, minority, ethnic, young people, 10 to 17, make up 18% of the population, 1-8% of the population. They make up 48% of the prison population for youth offenders. That's a shocking statistic. And it was released about last year, about a year ago. And what I did is I downloaded the spreadsheet to look at trends over time. And they're exactly the same. Every year, black, Asian, minority, ethnic, young people are making up about just under 50% of the prison population. I am sure if we dig deeper within those statistics, what we'll find is that there's a large amount of Pakistani boys, there's a large amount of Black Caribbean, it's, it's mainly around inner city areas, etc, etc. And there is, there is a, a shocking and worrying trend that we are, we are kind of ignoring. So there is a regressive argument that if you give young people a good experience, and that good experience might be a broad curriculum, and it might be a curriculum that works very well in a different place. If you give a minority community that kind of experience, that they'll just generally be successful. And that's true up to a point. And I, I think the reason why that's true up to a point is there is a large group of students that are being lost in the education system.
And these students quite often come from the most economically deprived areas, but also the most culturally deprived areas. They're just aware of a monoculture, whether that's a Pakistani culture within Bradford or a um, Afro-Caribbean culture within inner city London. What we find is that these students who, who grew up in this monoculture disengage from the school curriculum. And what we need to be doing is having a tailored curriculum for our young people in order to engage them. What we need to do is make sure that our curriculums and our schools set high aspirations for these young people. And I think if we don't do that, then we will lose them. And those prison populations will only get worse. And if you look at the statistics in America, they're 10 times worse. If you look at the um, American statistics for Afro-Caribbean people, making up prison populations in America that are around 80%. And I think that's a real concern. What we're finding is that more and more young people aren't able to engage with the curriculum who come from a minority background. And we need to be challenging this in order to raise their aspirations and take them somewhere. Could you tell our listeners how the landscape has changed since you were both at school and especially what you hope it will look like in the next 10 years? Yeah, I, when I think about kind of when I went to school and thinking about my work with LGBT ed, I'm really mindful of Section 28, which was a, um, a piece of legislation that prohibited the kind of promotion uh, of uh, homosexuality. So you weren't allowed to speak about it, you weren't allowed to be openly gay. And that actually, that piece of legislation only got repealed in 2003. So, um, you know, I lived through that as a, as a pupil and I definitely f- I definitely now look back and feel that um, that had a major impact on, on me because growing up as a, as a young gay woman, I had no role models at school whatsoever. There were no, to my knowledge, gay teachers. You know, the, the teachers who we thought might be gay because of some sort of pre-formed stereotype in our minds, they were exposed to ridicule and, and, um, and you know, and they were just trying to, t- to teach us. So I, I felt that was a really lonely place for me growing up. I mean, fortunately, I had good friends and um, the majority of my family were supportive. And so, you know, I found my way out of that kind of really lonely place. But, but that's not the case for, for some. So I think, you know, the landscape has changed massively. I think that, you know, DFE have been a massive supporter of LGBT ed and, and that's been really great for us. The, the, obviously, we've seen the launch of the LGBT Action Plan, we've seen the race disparity audit, the gender pay gap work. I think there's a real commitment to action now and I think that's that's changed. I think um, in terms of what I want to see in the next 10 years is that, you know, the amount of times that I have to speak about LGBT ed and people come to me and say that's a private issue, that's a personal issue Um, and the conflation that that happens between sex and sexuality. You know for me what I'd like to see in 10 years time is that you know it's it's I don't want to say normal but kind of usual it's it's just a a regular occurrence that your teacher might happen to be uh, trans or gay and, and that's you know and that's just how it is and you just you know but you're there to learn rather than it being some 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 big controversial issue that that kind of prohibits the learning and so for me that that's kind of where I want to see see things in 10 years time and I do think there's a real commitment to action but it's about organizations like LGBT and supporting that action now and making and making those changes for our for our students and for our staff and how about yourself Saqib? I don't think the landscape has changed that much for race relations and representation of ethnic minorities especially Asians really so growing up there were obviously not many Asian role models to follow either on TV or through the media or through the arts. There really weren't, there wasn't really a huge representation there. There was, however, this caricature programme on BBC Two called Goodness Gracious Me. Had loads of reviews, everyone loved it. I thought it was grossly offensive. It gave a very narrow perspective of what Asian people are like. 
And now, like 20, 30 years later, we've got Mr. Khan on TV from Birmingham. Ardell Ray's um, an excellent entertainer. He's won an MBE, so what do I know? But I still feel like there are these gross caricatures of Asian people, East Asian and South Asian, actually, on TV. And I'm not comfortable with that. And I'm not comfortable with the way the conversation's progressed, really. I don't think that's progressed enough. Speaking about education, there are, there, you know, these areas with high deprivation indexes and high ethnic minorities, they are getting funding. There are schools moving in, there are academies moving in, people are trying to change the outcome and the attainment of those young people. I'm just not sure whether they're doing it in a way that's truly promoting equality and diversity and inclusivity in a way that those communities need it. And so I think what we're going to see Hopefully what we're going to see within the 10 years is the conversation move from same opportunity to equal opportunity. You've both spent quite a lot of time dedicated to improving inclusivity and diversity in education. What's your biggest achievement so far and what do you hope to do, do in the future? My biggest achievement today is probably the launch of, of LGBT Ed, which, which was inspiring not because I, I you know, helped co-found it, but inspiring because of the people who came up to me after that launch and who've been speaking to me since and said, uh, since I've engaged with LGBT Ed, since I've I've known about you guys, you know, I've come out in my school. And and, and that's that's you know, that's huge for me. In terms of my kind of personal story, you know, I had a really difficult time when I came out. As I said, it wasn't accepted by uh, all of my family and that, that was a really lonely place for, for me. Um, and then kind of just this summer, I was invited to number 10 Downing Street to celebrate London Pride. Um, so to think that in the last kind of 20 years, I've lived through kind of homophobia and, and intolerance and then kind of, you, you kind of skip forward to now and I'm at Downing Street celebrating the LGBT community and talking about the LGBT community within education, you know, that that's that's felt massive for me. In terms of what I hope to do in the future, um, you know, LGBT Ed is a real passion of mine and of Daniel's and I think for us it's just about, um, as Sakib said, continuing to have those conversations, to continuing to get more understanding of, of the nuances of the LGBT community because they're not the same and working with, um, you know, working with government to kind of drive some of those actions. I think my biggest achievement, I've got lots of anecdotal stories of young people who have gone on to be very successful and lots of those are my, are my biggest achievements. You know, all these young people who weren't going to go to university or weren't going to get the grades that, they were, that they've ended up getting. Some of the stories that really stick in my mind, there was a young girl whose family was hugely against music for religious reasons and she was really, really in a dark place trying to do GCSE music, just trying to pursue a career in something that she really loved. Um, I supported her and through that the school really supported her. We engaged with the family, we had those conversations and she ended up doing music as an A-level and then going on to university to study those things. And so, you know, just stories like that are, are definitely my biggest achievements. Personally, I'm a young, I'm, a, I'm an individual who, who, who failed secondary school. I really struggled to engage with secondary school. And so for me to now be in a position where I'm part of ASL, where I'm a deputy principal, um, I hope to be a head teacher. I hope to be able to work in a, a diverse area where I can promote equality and inclusivity. Um, that's my ambition going forwards, but my achievement have been those hundreds of success stories of those young people. They're both really fantastic achievements and testament to, to your passion and, and how much you care about quality, diversity and uh, inclusion. Just one last question I'd like to ask both of you. What advice would you give to leaders uh, to ensure that they're creating inclusive practices? 
I'd go back to the, the start of what I said, which was around kind of diversity is strength and difference as a teacher, and fear and difference means that you will learn nothing. So start by learning. So start by learning from the people that you are championing. Start by understanding, really understanding their lived experiences, so that it isn't a, as I said before, a tick box exercise, and that you are, you know, so that you're not saying, we've got uh, three women on our board, but really understanding kind of what are the experiences of the communities that you are working with and serving. So start by learning and having those bold conversations. My advice would be to, to be brave and have those conversations, as Hannah is saying, but also to put yourself in the place of those young people and try and understand the issues that are affecting that community. So if you're teaching in a Asian community or in a Black Caribbean community or in a, in a white working class community, what are the challenges of those communities and how can you enrich up the curriculum of your school in order to empower those young people? And offering a broad brush to all of your students and saying we're doing a great job is just a tick box activity. And so what you really need to do is tailor your approach and make sure that you're offering them an opportunity to step out of their own box that they find themselves in outside of school and really step into lots of different shades of whatever they want to be within school and figure out who they are and what they want to do. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Hannah and Sagib. It's been wonderful having you here. Thanks. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Ambition Feed. Don't forget, you can find even more great discussion about equality, diversity and inclusion over on our website. Head to ambitionfeed.org.uk. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.